right, you guys be quiet. <laughs> Sit down, be quiet. You guys ready to start? All right, we're going to go ahead and get started. Um, uh, we're, we have a... Right, Jake, come on up. Uh, Jake's going to be a part of the conference that's coming up this weekend, so I'm going to have him plug it. So I'm also making him do announcements. Right. What do you think, huh? You getting into that fun? So we're going to have him do announcements. And uh, if things went like it did last sermon, he's got a word for us, too. I, 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 think, you need, I think you need to do it again. All right. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Um, and uh, if you want to sign up for the conference, is Sasha in the house? She's upstairs teaching Sunday school. Uh, see Sasha or Mako. Is, where's Mako at? She left. She's, I know. She's, it's, like, it's like, oh, Jake's doing announcements. I'm out of here. It's all right. Hello. I'm Jake. And for those of you that don't know me, hello. <laughs> I haven't given church announcements in 10 years, so um, they are still awkward and boring. I apologize. There's no getting around it. It's, um, it's like the Lord said, when, um, do this in remembrance of me. Break bread, give announcements. It was like they came together, and they've always been awkward, whether we video them, mime them, puppet them, dance them, they are awkward. So it's like you go from worship into something else glorious, and it's never, announcements is never the right bridge. But um, we planted a church years ago, and we planted two ministries, um, and so we've done lots and lots and lots of announcements, and now we're here hanging out with Josh and Mako and all of you guys, and we're just stoked to be here. We live around the corner, so it's like, it just makes it so nice, you know? I don't think I've ever been this close to a church I've been going to, so it's nice. Um, so few announcements just for your listening pleasure and learning pleasure. Um, first, all, uh, first off, Alpha class. Um, Alpha begins this Wednesday here at Granite Creek. For those of you that don't have any idea what Alpha is, Alpha is epic. Began in the UK, um, I think in the 70s, but then in the 90s, they started about four classes um, out of the same church that Tim Hughes came out of. For those of you that don't know Tim Hughes, he wrote a little song nobody's ever sang called Here I Am to Worship. Um, he, he, the same church that birthed him is the same church that gave us the Alpha class. Alpha in the 90s started with four classes, ended up being like about 10,000 classes by the end of the 90s. Um, it's really the easiest way to get a solid foundation in your faith. It is really that simple um, because you can go to 100 services and then they're, they're never going to touch maybe the intricacies of the foundation of faith. They might touch on them, but in a few weeks, you can really get a handle on why we believe certain things, why we preach certain things, why we carry certain truths. Um, that all comes out of the Alpha class in a really, really simple way. So I encourage everyone to go to it. It's really, really effective. Uh, you can bring your kids. Um, this church will also be serving meals at uh, the Alpha class because this church specifically serves meals at every class they ever hold, <laughs> ever. It's like every announcement I'm giving, I'm like, and there's a meal. And there's a meal for that one, and you should come to this thing, because there is a, here's a meal. I told the first service, it's about high time they started serving meals here. You know, how many of us would vote for meals Sunday mornings? You all just signed up to cook. That is awesome. We greatly appreciate it. We video the services. Your hands have all been counted. You'll get a phone call this week. Next week will be buffet. It'll be awesome. 
It's, it just works, you know? So come to this. Um, there are kids' classes. There's uh, space for your kids. Really, honestly, bring your neighbors, bring your friends. Anybody who's like, you're like, I can reach out, ask them to come to a free meal. Who doesn't like a free meal? And honestly, they'll get a really great foundation of the faith. And for most of us who have never been taught foundations of why we believe what we believe, we should make it there too. It's a really, really great class. Um, okay, also, Mother's Day is coming up. Any moms in the house? Moms, where are you at? Every mom in the room says, forget my birthday, forget Valentine's Day, forget our anniversary. You forget Mother's Day, you're dead to me. <laughs> right, moms? They, yeah. If your wife is not as open as mine to express that so freely, I'm doing it for you. I'm doing it for you. Uh, they are doing here at Granite Creek, there is a uh, Saturday, the day before Mother's Day, to prime you for Mother's Day. There is a brunch here um, Saturday, uh, May 9th, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. It's actually not here. It's at Upland Hills Country Club. Uh, $20, but oh, there's more information you can get at the uh, information booth after service. and You can sign up, register there. But you're going to want to go check this out. Um, if you're trying to get a brunch somewhere else in the city, it's probably full by now. I'm sorry, husbands, you should have thought sooner. It's terrible tra travesty of justice, um, but you need to go do that. And, um, and men, please get your mother's gifts. She pushed out a baby, for God's sakes, okay? <laughs> I've had kidney stones. So I've, told, I've been told I can sort of relate, except for at the end of it, you don't get a life, you just get a stone. It's not as cute at all. Okay, last thing um, before we talk about School of Prophecy. Um, Granite Creek 101, uh, there is a chance for you guys to get a class and a... Welcome to Granite Creek, y'all. It's a class and a meal. You get a class and a meal. If you want to find out the uh, sort of the, not just the history of the church, but just why Granite Creek is the way it is, who they are, who's in charge of this crazy ship. You can get to meet them, you can get to know what's going on, and you can find out more about the church. Um, there's actually one May 17th, 12.45 p.m., so just, uh, it's a Sunday, so it's after service. You can come get a meal, hang out, find out more about the church, find out what's going on here, and ask for all the dirt. Josh, I want to know the dirt. Tell me the dirt. And they'll tell you, because they're way too open. You know what I mean? It's great. So um, come check that out, find out more about the church. So Alpha, Mother's Day. Sunday 101. Also, what's coming up, you should have got in your... The reason I am doing these announcements in the first place is there's the School of the Prophetic is next, we, is next weekend, and we want you guys to participate. And the reason I'm giving the announcement is simply because of this. Um, we've had lots and lots of experiences over the last probably eight years. Um, for those of you that don't know anything about us, literally, um, I, was a, I was brought up in a Baptist church, planted an emergent church, planted a house of prayer, we have lots and lots of, we have a, in the last service it was discussed, when we have Jesuit priests, Catholic church in our family line, like there's a lot of church in our family. <laughs> and we've had a lot of experiences with God that um, are pretty amazing. And we can really, we really feel like this is a time in the church where we need prophecy probably more than ever. And prophecy isn't just for the weirdos. That's the hard part about about promoting something like the School of the Prophetic because most people go, oh, School of the Prophetic, check out. But here's the problem. The school, the, the, the gift of prophecy 
I'm just going to give you the short version, actually. I didn't share this last service, but there's, we have to understand that there's three, there is three ways that the prophetic gift operates in every believer's life. There's three ways, the spirit of prophecy, there's the spirit of prophecy, the gift of prophecy, and the office of prophet. The spirit of prophecy is available to all believers. Why? Because the gift of prophecy is for the comfort, encouraging, and strengthening of the body. How many of you know, if we just got more encouragement as kids, we'd probably be less afraid today? How much less afraid would the church be today if we just had prophecy in operation in this hour? Because you flip on your news, that is negative prophecy. That's for ratings. That's not, for, that's not real news. That's for ratings. If you're getting your news from Twitter or from any other source on the television... It is probably hype and propaganda because that is for ratings. If they stop, if you stop watching because you find a channel that has more bad news on it and you watch it, they will change, they will change the news to make sure you watch the news. It's a TV show. It's not real. You're like, that is, you're a liar and you're mean. (laughs) So where do I get real news? Oh, I have such great news for you. You get real news from heaven. Well, no, brother, there's a war and there's a fire and there's a stuff and it thinks, no, that's not really what's happening. That's just surface level. See, God wants to take you into the depths and the riches and the wisdoms of the knowledge of God. He wants to take you to heavenly places where you could be seated with him. That's the glory of what this is all about. This is not about you sitting your booty in church. Jesus Christ didn't die on the cross so that you could sit into church. You are not a Christian because you sit in church. (laughs) You don't get saved by going to church. This is about a relationship. Tell me one other relationship that would work if you only showed up once a week. (laughs) Honey, I will see you in seven days. I love you. No, I love you. You guys, it doesn't work. We call it a relationship, but we only show up every seven days. And then in the meantime, we might show up to a group if they're serving a meal. And if possible, (laughs) it's more about what I get out of it instead of what's really happening. We're getting our news from television instead of getting it from the source that knows everything that's going on. I told the last service, it simply looks like this. If you're living through a hurricane, it sucks. It's terrible. Living through a hurricane would be horrible. The problem is, when you, have you ever seen a satellite picture of a hurricane? It's beautiful, right? The swirls and the greens and the blues and the whites and the shades and all the textures. It looks gorgeous, but if you have to live through it, it's hell. So God says, get seated in heavenly places with me so that you can see it from my perspective. Prophecy is our ability to see it from his perspective. Your test will eventually become a testimony if you understand the spirit of prophecy. If you understand that you, this is not just for prophets and weird people who stand in the front and push people over when they pray for them. You guys, this is for every single believer and it's easy to prove. Jesus said, it's good that I go. Why? So that I can give you Holy Spirit because me walking with you is great, but I want to be inside of you. Jesus says, it is to your benefit that I go. We should probably listen if Jesus is saying it's a good idea. He says, it's a good idea that I go. Not just a good idea. It's highly beneficial for you that I die. We don't have time to go into all that, but God, it's so beautiful. 
It is so beautiful that Jesus, the son of the living God, God himself incarnate, goes onto the cross for us, goes into the depths of hell to grab a hold of the keys of death and Satan himself. He could not stop him even though he thought he'd won. How many times in your life does it look like the devil won? But don't worry, Sunday's coming. How many times does it look like the devil's winning right now in your life? But if you just had enough prophetic spirit in your life to see beyond the grave. If we just had enough prophetic insight to see beyond the test. To know that when we have a testimony, not only are we free, but we have the ability to set others free. See, Jesus lived in freedom, but when he went to, went to hell to grab the keys, by the way, that's what your Bible teaches, he goes to hell, grabs the keys of death itself, resurrects, and hands the keys to us. He was free when he walked the earth, but when he resurrected from the grave, we all became free. We had the opportunity to be free ourselves. Because when we walk through hell and we show the power of resurrection in us, we have the ability to set others free. But if we don't have enough prophetic insight to see through the test, then we'll just be in the test until we die. We have got to grab a hold of this thing so that we can all walk in the prophetic nature that we've been called to. Jesus said, it's benefit that I die. Why? So I can get Holy Spirit inside of you. That's the way this works. I want Holy Spirit inside of you. Holy Spirit is not weird. He's not awkward. He doesn't laugh all the time. He doesn't make you shake and fall over. He is Holy Spirit and he is God. And if we do not know who he is and we count him as Jesus, most of us, I mean, we don't even know Holy Spirit, you guys. And he's God. We think he's weird. He's not weird. He's God. And he lives in you. And how many spiritual gifts does he have? All of them. He doesn't have to take a a spiritual gifts test because he has them. And where does he live? In you. So guess how many spiritual gifts you have? All of them. We don't need a test. We need a voice. But we'd rather take a test than get the voice because relationship is always harder than a class. Jesus isn't going to ask you how many Bible verses you memorized, how many services you went to, what denomination you were a part of when you get to heaven. You're going to look at his eyes and there will be only one question that matters. Do I know this man standing before me? And you don't get to know him by knowing a list of his attributes. You get to know him by getting to learn his voice. And the Holy Spirit leads us into all truth. This is the nature of the prophetic gift, and we all need it because we can prophesy people right through their pain, their heartache, their tests, their trials, their trans- transgressions, their, their addictions. You guys, we can prophesy people right out of hell and into their promise because that's the nature of the Father. If you, don't have a, if you didn't have a dad growing up, I promise you one thing. You don't know who you are. That's what you missed. Sure, you might have missed some protection and provision, but I promise you the thing that really matters is if you don't have a dad, you don't know who you are because only a dad can give identity. That's why Jesus said, I do nothing apart from what I hear the Father doing, saying, speaking, leading. And guess what? You can hear the same voice, deliver the same voice, move in the same voice to pull people from test and to testimony. 
this isn't just so we can have another conference or a good church service. Who cares? We can have the best church services in the world. We're having great church services all over the planet today, yet nothing's changing. If good church changed the world, we'd already have a changed world. Amen? We don't need good church. We need, we need Christians, real ones, who, like Jesus said, got born again, baptized in water and in fire, so the Holy Spirit dwells in them, and they are led by the voice of the Father to breathe life into others who are dying so they can, the resurrection power that dwells in us can resurrect them from the dead. You're not just a bad person before you're a Christian. You're dead. That's, that's the terrible news. God doesn't want to make bad people good. He wants to make dead people alive. It would not be hard to prophesy around the room this morning at all. Especially right now. Look, there's just so many things happening in the room. There's a lot happening in this room. <laughs> the best part is, is prophecy doesn't have to do with a gifted human being. It has to do with a person who knows how to hear the Father. Because once you know you're loved, you can love others really freely because you know you're a hot mess. That's why Jesus says, I take the, that's why the Bible says uh, he takes the broken things of the world to shame the wise, the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Because he wants to use the broken things of the world to reveal himself because it proves a lot more that he's God and not the person. So many of us, we just need to hear, what was your name? I'm sorry, sir. You have glasses on your shirt like me, so it's cool. What? Ken, what's up? Are you guys... Dating or married? Okay, I always ask because I mess that one up pretty much every time. I'm like, oh my God, are you guys married? That's my sister. Awkward, right on. Where's God? You're not going to believe anything I say now, so I'm going to move on. Is Ken and Bree. Ken, you're an awesome man, and I feel like you have way more tender heart than you're letting on. You have such a tender heart, and your dad loves you so much. You have a father in heaven that's pursuing you so radically, Ken. And you like to blend into the crowd and just pretend like stuff isn't happening because it's just way easier. I feel like you've learned the gift of denial. <laughs> and the Lord says, I'm pulling you out of denial. I'm actually removing blinders in this season. And it's actually been really hard because things are coming to your memory and coming into your life that you just don't want to deal with. You don't want to mess with. You don't want to talk about. You don't, have, you don't feel safe. It feels like you're an exposed nerve right now. And the Lord says, I've done this in this season because this is the first season you're actually in a safe place where you can deal with this stuff. And things are being removed from your life that you feel like, God, this, I'm, am I losing? Did I do something wrong? He goes, no. If I don't get rid of some of these other weights that you're carrying, I feel like specifically transition in jobs, transition in titles, transition in life. If you don't get rid of some of these things that you found identity in in the past, he can't deal with your present to give you a new future. And he's getting rid of the, the denial stuff. Because for years, you just said, no, everything's great. Everything's great. Everything's great. And you're like, I am hurting inside. Do you guys have kids? Hey, what's up? Just these two? God bless America. Okay. Oh, dude, you were so tiny, you like hid. Were you laying down out of the chairs? No. Okay. And so is there an, a younger or an older. This is the season, man. You beat yourself up too much and you just have got to just be honest with where you're at and the pain, like the hurt that you've been carrying for a long time. 
it's time to just be real and be honest with it because you're so much more tender. You, you can hold a good front and a very strong front and you've done a great job. This isn't, God's like, I'm not rebuking you. I'm setting you free. And you thought, you, I feel like you thought, okay, I'm just gonna cruise control for a little while. I feel like you thought this was a season of cruise control. <laughs> and the Lord's like, no, I'm just, I'm actually, this is a season of real resurrection power coming into your life. Because you're called to young men, like young men. That's who you're gonna, they're gonna, you're gonna target them, love on them, and you're gonna carry them the way that they could never be carried in their own lives. You're a good dad. You got a whole lot of stuff you're carrying that you just gotta drop off now and stop beating yourself up. And we just break denial, shame, guilt, condemnation off of your life, and we just set you free. In the name of Jesus, that's it. You don't ever have to carry that stuff. You're carrying memories in your brain that have to be buried. They have to get buried. Let Jesus take them. What are your son's names, real quick? What? Caden? Kaysen? Christian. Christian, are you, are you the oldest? Are you the oldest? You both look old. Sorry. What? But you're the next. You're next. Um, you have a massive amount of talent on your life that's untapped into. You're literally burying a bunch of talent into the dirt. You ever hear that? You ever heard that story where, G, where um, Jesus tells the parable of the talents where some are given 10, one was given five, one was given one. You know what I mean? Like that whole story. And the one who had the least buried it in the ground, it didn't multiply. And I feel like you have a lot of talent, literally talent. Like you have a lot of ability. I feel like you could, you, you have a lot of creativity on your life. A lot of creativity. But it's being buried because you don't, this is what I just think. So you can tell me I'm totally wrong, Christian, and it's totally okay. I'm okay with being wrong. But I feel like you have a lot of talent, but you're sacrificing your talent and some of your gifts to be like more manly. Like to prove like your manhood. And I think you are a creative and you're an artist, but it's being buried and you got to resurrect it. I think you can sing. I think you have a voice and a love for music. And I think you have a love for art. And I think God's going to, he wants to give it to you. How old are you? 18. Don't make decisions for your next, the next part of your future based on what somebody else wants, or, but base it on who you really are. Like Christian, you are uniquely wired to be you. And I think that there's some other people in the room that you guys are artists too. And it got buried because you had to be responsible. <laughs> the most responsible thing you could do with your life is listen to the voice and let it lead you. Christian, you hear that voice. And you're a, you're a great young man. But you're being a follower instead of a leader right now. And it's time to just shut it down. There's some people around you that are just jerks and you know it and you should be leading them they shouldn't be leading you does that make sense yeah you don't know how amazing you are yet and God's protected you because you should have been a lot more in trouble (laughs) is that not true but you know that there are certain times where you're like, I should have gotten into trouble for that, but I didn't, and it's God's protection, and you haven't yet recognized that God's saving your life because he wants you to have a clean slate when he calls you. Does that make sense, Christian? Yeah, you're a good dude. And I pray in Jesus' name, resurrect every talent that he's buried in the sand. Resurrect it. And God, we don't care what his friends say about him. We don't care what they think about him. We, we just declare over his life right now in Jesus' name that you have nothing to prove to anybody else on planet Earth. 
you have a family that's proud of you and they love you and they care for you and want you to become you. You're awesome. <laughs> that's good. You guys, we need this in the church. Could you imagine if prophecy operated around you when you were 10? Think about that. Imagine if you were in a prophetic culture. Do you know what I mean by prophetic culture? Where, pro- where prophecy was normal, where this was normal, where people saw people and called out the greatness in them consistently without any fear, condemnation, guilt, shame. What is your name? Sorry. Yeah, you, you got the baseball tee on. You're trying to duck, but it's okay. Did I call you out before? What's your name? Sharice, you're rad. I won't embarrass you because it's not your style, but you're pretty freaking awesome. And you should have you been told how awesome you were when you were a lot younger. And if you would have just been told how awesome you were, things would have shifted. You didn't ask for this. You didn't do it. And it's not your fault. The Lord says, it is not your fault. You need to, you need to stop beating yourself up for stuff you didn't ask for. Because you didn't ask for it. It's not yours. You don't have to carry it as if it's yours. Because it got put on you. It got shoved on you. And you got taken advantage of. And it's not who you are. It's not your identity. You're ridiculously awesome. You have this beautiful spirit. I see you with gigantic wings. And you just never learned how to fly. So people just kept clipping them. Because if you fly as high as you can fly, it makes them look silly. People are really, really, really jealous of you because you know how to take a little and make it a lot. And you are a freaking joy bomb in the middle of other people's depression. I feel like specifically you have authority over depression. You're going to kill depression everywhere you go. You are not depressed. That's not who you are. And I feel like you're going to get your dreams back and your sleep back specifically. You're going to get rest back again. You're going to get rest, not just sleep, but rest because you always feel like you're this. And the Lord says, I'm going to give you rest again. I'm going to put rest on your life. And I just feel like specifically you're going to have authority over depression. Authority over it. Not just like you're going to literally walk up to people who are depressed. You're going to see it as a demonic presence. There are real demons and real angels. Wake up, church. Why would we need spiritual armor if we're not fighting a spiritual battle? Why would we be told our battle is not against flesh and blood, yet all we do is argue with each other? I don't have to argue with you. I'm not going to debate with you. Nobody gets saved in a debate. But I will lay hands on you. You will feel the presence of God and you will be demanded to make a decision. Because you cannot deny an encounter. I can preach the rest of the Bible to you. We could just do it. We could do it. Let's go verse by verse for the next 50 years. But I promise you, I promise you, when the word becomes flesh inside of you, it all changes. You hear a thousand sermons and one encounter makes those thousand sermons real. It's like a light bulb comes on. That's who you are. You're a giant light bulb to a world of darkness. Please, I pray in Jesus' name, God, you would tell her every day for the rest of your life that the heart of the Father would cover you and you would be baptized in love so that every day for the rest of your life, you would hear I love you from a heavenly source. Because if you were told, I love you, as much as you're going to hear for the rest of your life, the beginning of your life, it would have played out different, but you would not have as much authority as you have today. Because hell fears you. Hell fears you, and it's why every time you take two steps forward, you feel like you're hammered five steps back. Right? In everything, school, job, finances, relationships, 
all of it, you feel like you get hit five steps back as soon as you take one step forward. That's because hell fears you. Not man, not people. Hell itself fears you. These are demonic principalities. We have authority over you guys. You're not depressed. I just, whatever. I don't care. I just, you can not like my theology. It's okay. I just feel like Jesus walked up to people who were ignored for 40 years and in a minute they get set free because he carried something we're all supposed to be carrying. We can set, anybody who's been through a 12-step program would love a one-step program. Any, amen? Anybody who's been through 12 steps would have been like, I would glad, if I could have taken a one step, please, in Jesus' name, where is it? Right? Now, I don't know why we don't all get it. I don't understand it. I don't understand why some people get healed and some don't in a minute. I don't understand why some healings take 10 years and some take 10 minutes. I don't understand. I've seen cancer fall off bodies and other people die from cancer. I don't know what to do about that. I just know that my experience doesn't dictate his character. That is the root right there. That's the root system. Our experiences don't dictate his character. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, even if your life falls apart. We got to get delivered from that, you guys. We got to get delivered from a theology that is dependent on our experience. Because whether our experiences are good or bad, he is still God. Well, one last story, and then I'm going to pray we get delivered from that thing. <laughs> Acts 16. Paul and Silas are in prison. Amen? You might have heard the story. They're in Philippi. They're in a Philippian prison, which was built into a sewer system. I tell people they were actually in a poop prison. That's literal. <laughs> it's a sewer system prison. They're in it. They are found praying and worshiping. In Acts 16, they are praying and worshiping in prison. In prison, as they're praying and worshiping, two things happen. The chains fall off their hands and the door, an earthquake happens. Chains fall off their hands. Doors fall off their cells. Amen? Great. Glory. Hallelujah. Most of us would be like, that's the answer to prayer, and we'd run right out the doors. That's because we don't know freedom is not found in our circumstance, but in his character. That's why Jesus Christ can die on the cross and see it as a win. He can go through the most excruciating pain any human being has ever endured and call it glory. Paul put it this way. He said, these momentary light afflictions are working within you an eternal weight of glory. Glory. We want to see his glory. We want to see his presence. We want to see his majesty. We want to see his glory. We want to see it in its fullness. We want to see it in here. I want to see it in this room. I want to see it in your life. I want to see it in your family. The problem is 90 times out of a hundred in the Bible, they go through hell to see his glory. Everybody wants resurrection, but nobody wants to die. Everybody wants to see the sick healed, but nobody wants to be sick. Everybody wants to see it. Everybody wants a great marriage, but nobody wants to walk through the hell of trying to figure out how two broken people become one flesh. And the doors fall off and the chains fall off. The guard is about to kill himself. 
That's what's about to happen. The guard, the Philippian jailer, sees every chain broken, every door open, and he says, well, they're going to kill me. I might as well kill myself. He's about to stab himself with a sword, and Paul goes, hey, wait. That's really going to hurt, bro. It's a bad idea. We're still here. You guys, what is the next verse and the next words out of that jailer's mouth? It wasn't, what church do you go to? What do they ask? He says one thing, and it leads to another thing. He says, what must I do to be saved? Because salvation doesn't look like a bunch of people whose doors fall off and they run through the door. It says, who can stay in hell and find the one person who's about to run themselves through and tell them, I got you. That's what prophecy looks like. Because prophecy looks like I see the prison, but I can look to the future to a palace. And whether or not I see it here on earth is irrelevant because I see it being prepared for me. How come we have faith that when we die, we're going to heaven, but nobody has faith to see a broken leg come together or hear the voice of God here on earth? Why is that so much more different? Why is that so much more difficult? You literally believe you're going to a place you've never seen, don't know much about, somebody told you about one time, that you're going to get there because you prayed some prayer. You're going there, and it's why you showed up to church, because you're hoping that you'll build up enough change in your pocket that when he sees you, he'll go, don't worry, all of your junk is okay. No, your junk's not okay because you went to church enough or you did enough good works. That's irrelevant. Your good works and your bad works are both wiped out for one single purpose. Do you know the man? But it takes prophecy to know the man. The Holy Spirit is not here for gifts and signs and wonders. He's here to convict you of sin and lead you into all truth. And Paul and Silas, baptized in the Holy Spirit, filled with his presence, didn't see a prison. They saw a palace in the future. That's why he could say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That jailer is worth it. I'm staying here. Because not only did the jailer get saved, the jailer said, what must I do to get saved? Then what does he do? Come to my house. He changed in one minute two human beings staying in suffering instead of running out of it, saved an entire family and changed a generational line. Is your pain and your process and your test and your trial enough to stay in it long enough so that somebody else's entire generational line is changed forever? I promise you, you need prophecy to do it because you've got to hear his voice. Because if you don't hear the voice of encouragement, comforting, or strengthening in the midst of your hell, you'll stay in that hell for the rest of your life or you'll avoid it like crazy and pretend it doesn't exist. So Lord, right now I ask for a spirit of deliverance to wash over this room. In Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, it says that perfect love casts out all fear, so baptize us in love right now. God, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come and you would resurrect us from the dead, the insides of us, the parts of us that we let die. Sure, we may have crossed over and showed up to church, but I want to live a resurrected life. I want to live on planet Earth resurrected. I want to know, I want to know 
I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of the suffering. That's Philippians 3. I want to know all three of them, God. God, reveal yourself to us, not just in the pleasure, but in the pain. God, reveal yourself to us in the nature of who you are in all of our circumstances, because we know that your character is not dependent on our circumstances. Amen? God, we recognize, we recognize in Jesus' name that you can transform a city in a day, and you can transform one human being in a moment. So God, we ask, transform us right now in Jesus' name. We ask that you would come resurrect us on the inside. No matter where we are today, whatever pit, prison, or palace we find ourselves in, that you'd resurrect us on the inside so that we'd carry freedom wherever we go and not wait for freedom to show up. In Jesus' name, amen. You should come next week and it's going to be good. All right. <laughs> I bet you've never heard an announcement like that before. Huh? Um, obviously, we're going to jettison the notes. And um, you needed to, we needed to do this. We just needed to do this. You, needed, you need to get an understanding of what prophecy is. It's not, we're not doing a conference. You need to see Jake's heart. You need to see his heart and his affection for you. Well, that's what I saw. And things are going to change, folks. So uh, I'm going to spend a little bit of time talking about that, and then we'll get out of here. Um, we're starting a new series on God's infinite love. And the reason why I want to look at, okay, the, this little sideways eight, I'm not starting a new religion with new sim- symbolism. Uh, for all you science nerds out there, you know that this is the symbol for infinity. And not, I'm not bashing what we do, because I think that it's important, but we spend a lot of time about me talking about you, looking at you, talking about me, talking about you. Um, and, and we have to have a certain level of, of self-reflection. You need to know that, that you're really messed up, and you need to take a good hard look at yourselves. That's important. Introspection is really bad, but self-reflection is good. And so we've, ta- we've taken a lot of time about doing that. But when we move into this, this, this season of, of the prophetic... When we move into flexing our faith muscles and doing things that we've never done before, it's extremely important that you're not looking at you, looking at you, looking at you. It's extremely important that you have your, your mind's eye focused on an infinite God that is all-powerful and that loves you unconditionally. That's, this is the main focus when we walk into these new seasons uh, that God's calling us into. And so, well, we're going to be looking today at, uh, at expansion. The way that we move forward is we need to experience God on a higher level. I don't know about you, but I am not, I'm not okay with where I'm at spiritually. I choose not to level off. My, my walk is not good enough. I know the Bible. I mean, I got a decent command of it. It's good enough, but who cares? I want to know him more. I'm not content with where I'm at, and and I hope that you're the same way. If you're content with where you're at spiritually, I don't know. See you next Sunday, right? Uh, 
And I think we trick ourselves because we all talk to God. Even atheists talk to God. Even atheists have a conversation with God, even though they don't like him and they, you know, they yell at him. I've yelled at God. I've had, I've had conversations with God. I believe that every single human being on the planet has had some type of a conversation with God where, they, where they're either listening to God or being directed or, or guided by God or, or whether they're, they're crying out to God, asking God for stuff, God, heal my pain, fix me, give me some money, whatever it may be, we've all had these types of conversations with God. And it's good. I want to tell you right now that if you are talking with God on a consistent level, that's good. But I'm also here to tell you that there's more. And I'll prove it to you because we're going we're gonna to take a look at somebody. We're going to take a look at the evolution of Abraham's relationship with God. That could be your, your title. That you, if you want to take notes, write that one down. The evolution of Abraham's relationship with God. Because he's the father of the faith, right? He's the, he's the very first, well, eh, technically not true, but he's, he's Father Abraham. He's the first Jew. First of the Hebrews, sort of. But you get the, you get the point. He started, he started the faith. And, and there was something special about Abraham. He had he had faith. He started off with a measure of faith, and, and you do too. We all have a measure of faith, but what he chose to do with it was, was transform the whole entire world. He's a wealthy man in modern-day Iraq in the city of Ur, and God spoke to him, and he said, I'm going I'm to call you out. Let's take a quick look on this one. Uh, Genesis chapter 12. The Lord said to Abram, his name was Abram, it got changed. Leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go into the land which I will show you. I will make you a great nation. And you will bless and excuse me, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And here we go. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And that's true, isn't it? If we, if we take a look at the, the, the Jewish people, what, 3% of the world's population, 90% of the Nobel Peace Prize winners, they have blessed this planet. Right here, one of the oldest texts that we have. Well, that's prophetic, right? This is God's word that's true. But you see, Abraham heard this voice, and he followed. Maybe you've done the same thing. Maybe you've heard God's voice. God's led you somewhere. Okay, I really feel like God's moving me over here. I'm going to go. All right? That's one point where Abraham communicates. Um, you ever have family issues? All right, I know. Uh, family issues. Abraham packs up his family, takes his knucklehead uh, nephew Lot with him. They leave their, probably the best city in the world to where God has called them, which is Israel, which happens to be going through a drought, so they're starving to death. They actually get called into a drought. Have you ever feel like that, where God's led you into something where you're suffering? I thought God wasn't mean. I thought you said God was good. Why, why did he lead me into this pain? I don't know. But this is what happens. And then Abraham says, it stinks here. 
I'm going to Egypt. Now, God didn't tell him to go to Egypt, but he went to Egypt. And I, don't, I didn't say that God didn't tell him to go to Egypt, but he went to, to Egypt. He did some lying. He made some money, made a lot of money. Head back, he headed back into the land that God promised him, and it's now growing. The drought's over. Grass is up all over the place, and they are doing extremely well, and they have a family conflict. I get an amen. Isn't it weird when things seem to go well, you get family conflict? I know. So there's family conflict, and Abraham chooses relationship over money. He chooses family over money. And he says, okay, Lot, you just go where you think the grass is greener. And he does. And then he, then he moves into Sodom. So Lot, you know, he, he makes Sodom his home city. That's, that's complicated. But see, you know what Abraham did in this situation? He called upon the name of the Lord. Chapter 13. There, Abraham called on the name of the Lord. So we have a communication. Now, something happens. There's four kings that invade Sodom and Gomorrah and all these other little cities, and Lot is in the big mix of it, and he gets captured. And Abraham, he performs the very first battle that's ever recorded in the Bible, and he saves Lot, because Lot gets kidnapped by, by some bad kings. And of course, he's hanging out in Sodom, so he's hanging out with bad kings, but he gets kidnapped by bad kings, and, and Abraham saves him. Abraham uses his own resources, his own people, his own money, and he rescues his knuckleheaded nephew. And that act of saving his family did something inside of God, and it was actually something that evolved Abraham's relationship, his faith relationship with God up to a next level because God encounters Abraham in a different way that's never been done before. I'm going to paraphrase it for the sake of time. They come back after their victory, and as they're coming into this valley, this, this, this wide valley of green grass, Abram and his family... And Lot, they get greeted by two kings, the king of Sodom and this mysterious figure called Melchizedek, the priest king of Salem. Let me read it real quick. Then after the return, after the defeat of uh, Ketelotomar, the king, excuse me, and the kings allied with him of Sodom. Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shavah, which is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God, most high. And he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God, most high, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God, most high, who delivered your enemies into your hands. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the people and, the, and, the goods of, and keep the goods for yourself. But Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and have taken an oath that I will accept nothing belonging to you. Verse 24, I will accept nothing 
from you, but what my men have eaten. So here in the Valley of Kings, Abraham is approached by, by two kings, one Sodom and this other really mysterious priest king, Melchizedek, who offers him bread and wine. Okay, turn on your brains, folks. Who offers us bread and wine? Who is our priest king? God Most High, Elion, creator of heaven and earth. The name is even is amplified. It's a different name than was before. And Abraham chooses Melchizedek. It's easy to say that Melchizedek is a Christ type, but I'll push it even further. It's probably Theophanes. It's probably Christ himself encountering the man of faith. And there was something about that encounter. We don't know exactly what was going on, but there was something about that encounter that captivated Abram's heart and evolved him up into a higher level of spirituality. Because immediately he sacrificed. Immediately he gives a tenth of everything that he owns. Not only did he do that, he distinguished himself between aligning himself with the priest king and aligning himself with the king of Las Vegas. Who are you giving your money to, folks? Do you see what he does? He immediately decides to say, I will not go into relationship with the king of Sodom. And this isn't like a sexual orientation thing, folks. This is sin. This is materialism. This is everything that you, they, it, Sodom is not, Sodom does not represent you know, the lifestyle. Sodom represents the world left to its own devices. And so he made a choice. He made a choice in the Valley of the Kings who he was going to serve. But you might think this is interesting because he already had a relationship with God. He was already talking with God. But his communication with God was, was a weak communication. You know, there's different forms of communication and each level of communication is either weak or strong. You know that texting is a very weak form of communication, right? Like if you're going to vent, don't do it over a text message. Because you can't, you can't feel the tone, you can't read the tone. The, the, the next step up in poor communication is trying to communicate your heart through email or a fax. That doesn't work either. You know, maybe if you do a handwritten letter, you might be able to, you know, to see the anger in your writing, right? Or kiss your envelope or something. I don't know what girls do. I don't know. You know, Abraham was communicating, he was communicating with God, which I want to encourage everybody to do. Talk to God as much as you possibly can all throughout this week. But you need to know that, you, that talking to God while you're driving or whether you're, you know, prayer life or whatever, it could be a, a weak form of communication. Look, married people, raise your hand. You know that communication is very important, right? You guys know that you need to communicate. I am so bad. Is my wife in here? Okay, good. She's not. Let's talk about her. So, I am so bad. But you have to communicate when you live together. Like, okay, honey, I want you to do my laundry now. And my, my meal, I want my meal at 6 o'clock. And, and 
Baby, can you please bring me the remote? So this is how I communicate to my wife on a daily basis, and it works for us. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I know. No, no. But real life communication, like, like organizing who's going to pick up the kid. I've got a meeting. I can't get the kid. You get the kid, right? We have to have this. Okay, we need to pay that bill. You need to go to the bank and, and, and so I can pay the bill. And so we juggle these things and there's this communication. There is, um, there, it's what Abraham does with God. Abraham listens to God and he obeys. Abraham has a need and he communicates it to God and God listens and God does something. But the reason... Read, read it when you get home, but there's really no depth of conversation beyond, beyond McKizeldeck. Look, just because I'm communicating with my wife and that we're doing life together and we're able to pay the bills and get the kid to school on time and, and juggling all these things and we're doing a, a somewhat decent job in communication, it doesn't mean that I'm intimate with my wife. It doesn't mean that I've encountered her on a deep level. And so Abraham... I guess you could say he's dating God, right? So he's at a different form of relationship. Wait, this is, don't, don't forget I said that. That's just going to go in a bad direction, and I'll never, it's going to get, never mind. Okay. But Abraham, his communication with God evolves after Mechizeldek, after communion, after he takes communion with the priest king, things change. Verse 15. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Okay, before Melchizedek, it was only the word that came to Abram. Or it was only that God appeared to Abraham. This is the first time where you get both, where you get a word and a vision. So Abraham gets a word and a vision for the very first time. Before he got a vision of, okay, Abraham, I'm gonna make you, I'm gonna make you the the father of, of a bazillion people. Just look at, look at the earth. Look at all the sand on the earth. And you know what Abraham's response to that was? All right, well, okay. Let me get my tent and I'll move it. That's his response. But now he gets, he encounters Jesus in communion. He, God, I, I, I think, maybe I'm pushing a little bit, but he's moving into an area of prophetic, right? Yeah. Because not only is he hearing God, he's seeing God. And once you begin to move into this gift, uh, not only will you hear God's voice, but you will be impressed in your mind and you will see things as well. You will see things on people. You'll see the future. You'll see things that you weren't able to see before. And you'll hear things and they'll come in in technicolor. And it will be safe. Well, this is where he's moving into. And for the very first time, you have a true conversation, a real conversation between God and Abraham. Instead of Abraham just obeying and moving his tent, now Abraham expresses his heart. Here we go. Don't be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abraham said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my state is a servant. Verse 5. God, he, took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars. Indeed, if you can count them. 
Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. So the first one was, the first vision without a word was of the earth and of sand. And okay, technically you can count the sand. It would take a long time, but you could count the sand. But when you see the universe, the infinite universe, there's no, you can't count the stars ever. So he gives Abram a vision of infinite love that is not bound to a set number of pieces of sand, but into an infinite number of stars. He says, this is my love, and this is how deep it is. Now, here's the really interesting thing. Let's continue. So Abraham gets this, gets this vision of an infinite love. Verse 6, Abraham believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So this is the first time that Abraham believes. Before, he was obedient. Maybe you're an obedient Christian, but you don't believe. You can do that. You can be a good little boy. You can hear God's voice, and you can obey, and you can move, and make sure that you don't do naughty things. But it doesn't mean that you believe where it's accredited to you as righteousness. God said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur. If you, in case you were wondering about that, I'm the same guy that spoke to you then. Abraham speaking honestly, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of this land? The Lord said to him, bring me a, bring me a cow, bring me a goat, bring me a ram, chop them in half. And it's bloody mess, huh? Abraham brought these, cut them into two pieces. The birds he didn't cut in half. But then birds of prey came down on the carcasses. But Abraham drove them away. So what God is doing, he, gets a, he, gives, he gives Abram Jesus, the priest king who offers him communion, who brings him into relationship, forces him to choose between the priest king and the king of Sodom. Choose this day whom you're going to serve. And now he's showing him sacrifice. So he prepares the sacrifice. And even though God prepare, he prepares it for God, Abram is responsible for tending the sacrifice to make sure that the birds of prey don't rip off what's going on. So he's got to shoo off the vultures. And you might have vultures that are on your sacrifice, that are on your offering. You need to shoo these vultures off. And it's your responsibility only. It's not God's. God's not going to shoo the vultures off of your offering. You have to do that yourselves. Verse 12. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep. A thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain. Okay, now this is interesting. Okay, if, you, if, if this is all one scene, if this is all one snapshot, then when God showed Abraham the infinite universe, the, the impossible, he did it in the daylight. Because now we see the sun is setting. 
And when the sun sets, there, there's this deep darkness that, that God moves Abraham into. And it is in that darkness that he gets the answer. This is going to happen. The promise is going to be fulfilled. And you need to move into this deep darkness. All right, I've got to wrap it up. If I could have the band and the ushers come to the front. Why does God move him into this deep darkness? Why, what, what's, the, what's the meaning of this sacrifice? These animals, bloody animals. Next few verses, there is this really weird, mysterious, glowing orb representing, I believe, the Holy Spirit that moves in between. And it is this encounter. It is this evolving relationship that Abraham has with God that completely transforms him. And from a, it increases his faith exponentially. A faith that says, yes, I can hear God and I will at least obey into a faith that says, I'm going to encounter God on a deeper level where I'm going to see his infinite love and try to, try to be, grasp it. I'm going to go into communion with Melchizedek. I'm going to choose the priest king over the Sodom king. And he gets a vision of the cross. He gets a vision of Jesus, and he gets a vision of the sacrifice. And I, don't, I believe strongly, if he had not met Melchizedek in the Valley of the Kings, if he had not been pulled into this deep sleep where he, lo- where he loses complete control, I think he would have failed at sacrificing Isaac. Strengthen his faith. I think that's what God's calling us to. Let's pray. God, right now, we thank you so much for the words, the spoken word that has been breathed into our life. And right now, God, I pray for everyone's souls that they would be, just be quickened and they would be drawn to a, to a deeper relationship. Not just a better head knowledge of what the Bible says, but an intimacy with you where where there's communication on the, on the daily application, practical stuff, but there's also a glimpse into an infinite love, where there's also a, a drawing into an intimacy and a, and a love that we don't deserve and a faith that will make us stronger than we could possibly imagine. So, God, thank you so much for speaking into our lives and speaking life into us. We want more, God. We won't settle. Bless this offer.